The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop? and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal. Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. I'm delighted to be here with you today, particularly because today we have not one, but two amazing guests to talk to us about what I consider to me to be the most critical success factors in in business, namely uh, confidence and courage. But just before I introduce you to my first guest, Grace Kilea, I'd like to thank Mick Simonelli, an independent innovation consultant who shared with us last week some very unique tips in how organizations, large organizations in particular, can overcome negativity and drive revenue-generating innovation initiatives. I often find myself advising senior executives on that very topic, but until Mick mentioned it, I never thought of suggesting that perhaps the most powerful method of turning around a culture that hinders innovation is to have the CEO um, take on a lead project, uh, a lead innovation uh, initiative, and spearheaded from beginning uh, to end. So um, I'd like to even ask my guest today, Grace. Welcome to the show, Grace. Thank you so much, Laura. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you here, and, and I'm so humbled by by the extent of your expertise and experience and everything you have done. Um, I was wondering, Grace, with everything you've experienced. Have you seen that happening? Um, have you seen that implemented before where a CEO actually takes on an innovation initiative that he spearheads himself? I don't know that I've seen something uh, with that focus. I have certainly seen um, CEOs who are trying to navigate and change a culture become more active, have a more active role in decision-making and in um, the process in which they, way things happen. Um, you know, you talked about changing a culture. Um, you can't change something you don't really understand. So having a really active role, and I love that idea, um, in something that the business, uh, you know, business, key business initiative that the organization is working on can give a CEO insight into things that he or she would not see if they were just 
leading from the top and being reported into. So I think the idea is fantastic, but I also think it would take um, tremendous courage and a willingness to be open to um, some, of the, some of the failure points and stress points in the organization um, for that to really happen. Thank you. How how insightful. Thank you very much for that. Because uh, like you, I, I believe that's very, um, very important uh, to have him back that up. And it also brings me to the point of what this show um, exists, because we want people like Mick and like yourself to share their perspective, their thought leadership, and, and give very specific and, and practical advice to people to, to make better business decisions, which you're going to do for the next half an hour but let me just share uh, a bit more uh, about you and and there's so much to share and I apologize in advance for cutting some out just to let you talk more about your content um With more than 35 years of corporate human resources and talent development experience and over 20 years of experience coaching and developing uh, professionals, um, you have helped transform leaders from good to great. Uh, You are the founder and CEO of Hub the Sky Leadership Institute, uh, where you help women in leadership roles strengthen their business acumen and executive uh, presence. And of course, in in that role, you impart your unique insights and perspective on leadership, development and personal branding to motivate people, women in particular, to move beyond personal and professional barriers and live their best lives. You excel at providing individual leaders and corporate teams with professional development tools that help them move beyond obstacles, obstacles that as we well know, are both real and imagined, and you help them to achieve tangible results. You have this coming year in 2016, the Confidence Effect, Every Woman's Guide to the Attitude that Attracts Success, a book that is likely to be 2016's most anticipated book on women in business, and which is currently available for pre-order on Amazon.com. In that book, you explore in detail what you have identified as the four cornerstone of success, relationships, reputation, results, and resilience, and something that you will talk to us more um, shortly. And amongst the many honors and awards uh, that you have uh, won, include Wonder Woman by Multi-Channel News, Women on the Move, uh, Women in Power by Diversity Plus uh, Magazine, Mentor of the Year, and as I said, a lot, a lot of uh, accolades that you've received for your great word. And of course, you've also authored another book, Walking with Grace. Wow, impressive. How do you have time to do all this work, Grace? Oh, well, thank you for, uh, thank you for that nice introduction, Laura. And honestly, I think time is something that we, it's about choice, right? Where we spend to put our energy. And I've been fortunate that, um, I've been in some roles that have allowed me to explore, uh, leadership, leadership development in my corporate work. And, uh, now in my private practice, you know, I'm, I'm much more keenly focused on things that I'm passionate about. So we just managed to, you know, manage those hours in the day. <laughs> Yes. And how did you come to to select? Because you have such a vast experience. I'm sure you could have uh, picked different things. But how did your passion for supporting women in leadership come about? 
Well, I think it, it's a really two-pronged. Um, one was my, you know, my very long career in human resources and talent management and having a very senior role in a Fortune 30 company uh, in the talent space and recognizing that there are plenty of women in the workforce, but we weren't getting them to the next level. And so, so that was that professional knowledge. And then as a woman, um, being first, uh, first generation in my family to go to college, being the first professional in my family. My mother had a third grade education. I've always been passionate about um, lifting beyond the circumstances in which I've been in and others have been in. So those two things, the intersection for me has been to focus on um, women and developing women in the middle of the talent pipeline and helping feed more women to the top of organizations. And Grace, what's your personal perspective of why that is needed? And I, and I couldn't agree uh, with you more, but share with us your personal perspective. Well, I, I mean, well, let me just start from the business sense. I mean, 53% of everybody in the workforce in the United States is a woman, but only 28% of managers and supervisors are women. And as you continue to go through the talent pipeline, those numbers decrease. So really trying to understand why there's a leak in the talent pipeline. And there are several things. And absolutely, there are organizations who have processes, who have unconscious bias toward women. Um, and it might be things like during their talent management process, um, they make assumptions that a woman would not be relocatable because she has a family. Or um, there is a bias toward only men doing certain kinds of jobs. And then there's the truth where there are some industries where there are not as many women to choose from. Um, so, so that's part of it. But I, I also think that there are some, um, there are some internal messages that women um, operate from where we're not necessarily raising our hands, we're not asking for opportunities, and we're not speaking up at the table in such a way that gives us the attention and, and gets us the mentoring and the sponsorship that maybe some of our male peers do. I think it's important here to state, you know, I am not anti-male. Um, 87% of women report to men. Uh, there are a lot of great men leaders, but what we need is for women to do their part as well and to find, I like to say, to connect their confidence to their competence and to really begin to actively manage their careers and make sure they're asking for what they want, raising their hands and stepping into leadership in a different way than they may be doing today. Yeah, and and you know I love the way you you said that connect their uh, confidence to their competence because it's such a great reflection of what actually what's happening. Um, if I can share a personal story, yesterday I was advising a client on a female client how to ask for a salary raise, and um, she's actually doing a job that's well beyond the the way the job is classified, and. Uh, in my discovery questions, what I realized is that, or what I learned, is that for the three years uh, past, that uh, job disappeared as a management job and was given to people on the assumption that they can do it without being called the managers, the person in charge. And to probably not my surprise, Grace, I learned that for the last three years, all the people who have gone through that role and did more for it than uh, without being called the managers were all women. 
So it's a very uh, interesting perspective. And as coaches, both of us, we know that the only thing one can control is themselves. So, you know, we can expect so much from the organization, from our um, managers and everything else. But really, we we the only things we can control is what we do and, and control. So that's why um, I love the, the content uh, of your book. So let's talk more about the book. What caused you to focus on, on confidence? And again, I said earlier, I think it's one of the key success factors in, in leadership. Well, I, I think, Laura, that, you know, my experience, again, I've been doing this a very long time. And for almost um, 15 years, while I was in my corporate role, I facilitated an executive program for women. It was very high level. I was partnered with the Center for Creative Leadership. And over 700 women went through this program while I was um, facilitating. And, you know, I saw over and over women saying things like, gee, I wish I had asked for that. I, I didn't realize that that was possible for me. And you know, this, it has not been my experience that the reason women aren't being promoted is that they aren't smart enough. And so finding that voice and creating a place where women begin to actively manage their careers, the example that you gave about, you know, somebody who is thinking about negotiating, you know, women don't necessarily ask for more. So my experience was as a talent leader, so I had a front row seat to this, you know, we would offer someone a position and the salary would be X, Y, Z. And a woman would say, thank you very much and take the job. And I would find more often than not, a man would come back and ask for more money. And so there were just some differences in how men and women showed up. We would offer a job to an external candidate and more often than not, the, the negotiation and the asking for things came from our uh, male recruits and not from our female recruits. So that's just that, you know, front row seat to that experience. Now that I run my own leadership program and I have over 300 alumna, 75 partner companies that come to my program. So it's not, you know, it's industry agnostic, all levels, you know, women in the middle of their organizations, but all kinds of functions, everything from finance to sales, to operations, to technology. What we see are who say, I am not getting my voice heard. And so, it, again, it's not that we're not smart enough. I know you talk, Laura, very much about decisiveness. Um, it's putting a voice to your thoughts. It's speaking up in a meeting. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, a really important factor for women is that we have to be decisive and uh, women are judged a little bit differently in that care in that area. Um, but again, for me, it's not about that women aren't smart enough or capable enough. It's that we're not heard. And confidence is one of the ways that we get our voice heard in our organizations. Great point. Let me just uh, go back a bit to, to the point you've just made. I know you talked to hundreds uh, of women, and even for writing this book, you've accessed many of the, of the women you work with or in, in your network to get great insights. Example you gave earlier about negotiation, any sense of what's going on through women's minds when they actually say, I'll do this job as it is, and the men would actually ask for more money? Any insight to that? Well, there's research and, and you know, and again, I'm not a, uh, I don't have a PhD in this, but there's research that indicates that the way women are socialized, which is to be nice, to share, 
um, to take what we're given, to be what we call, I call it the good girl syndrome, right? You're a good girl, so you're just going to say yes. And um, many years ago, I was working with a, a professor who teaches negotiation skills, and she did a, an experiment in her school. And there was a job posting that went up, and, um, and it was for a paid internship. And the short version of the story is the only ones that applied were men. And none of the women that were part of this uh, exact same program applied. And, when she, and she was really frustrated. And when she asked the women, she said, they said to her, oh, well, we, we thought if you were interested in us, you would have asked us directly. So women have been socialized not to assume that the job is theirs, not to ask for more. And, you know, there's also a lot of research that talks about how women don't even negotiate their very first salary. And over the course of time, that can cost a, whim, a woman, really from your very first job out of college, over a million dollars in your lifetime in earnings because we don't negotiate starting when we're very young. That's amazing. And, and you know what, Grace, I can tell you that I'm definitely an example of that because I never uh, negotiated for, especially my first jobs, um, especially um, because the, in both countries, I worked in the UK and I then moved over to Canada. I, I assume that being given a chance is more important than being given money. But, but that's the kind of thinking that I find to be prevalent in, in women and um, not so uh, much in, in men. So that's very, very interesting. Um, I know that in your book you reference uh, one of the women you interviewed who said that most of us don't know how good um, or how strong we are until we get to the hard part and the power um, and persistence uh, and then we simply keep going and refuse uh, to, to cave. How do you recommend, how do you help women see how good they are and how strong they are because awareness of all their qualities I think it's an important point in this whole battle of, of developing confidence well I think it's two parts Laura and one is to recognize to really identify what are the messages you're telling yourself right not good enough smart enough attractive enough thin enough whatever the enough is and one of the things that we invite women to explore, I invite women to explore, is what is that conversation with yourself? And then how do you qualify out, right? What are you doing to keep yourself out? of the? And that is not your employer doing that. That's the messages we tell ourselves. The second piece is to really do almost an inventory of what, what, is, what game do I have? How good am I at these things? And really to understand what, your, what the levers are around your own strengths. So when you have done that personal inventory, and I, that particular quote that you, you talked about, um, resilience is such an important quality in leadership. And so to, to look at how many times you've been knocked down and gotten back up, or you've had to regroup or repurpose your skill set, that's a real talent for leadership. So I think when women can identify, A, what are you doing to qualify out, and B, what have you really managed to accomplish? And having had to do that myself in the course of my life, it's a very powerful one-two punch in terms of helping clean out the things that keep us from connecting our confidence to our competence. It's interesting because I think my male clients are not going to love me much if they listen today to the show. But I, what I found in my um, in my experience, Grace, and you can give me your perspective. But I have to tell you that what I found is that outwardly men 
show more confidence than than women do. And I'm not saying they have more confidence. I'm saying they show more confidence. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, but thank you. But when it comes to courage, it is women time after time. And as I'm saying this, I'm just getting goosebumps because I remember all those stories. When it comes to courage, women are more courageous. And I'm talking about everyday situations in in the work environment. What do you think? Well, I do think that there is um, there is a, a button that gets pushed with women that helps us, you know, have a voice and want to speak up for um, inequity, something that isn't fair or right in an organization. And and you will see, you know, when organizations have um, integrity issues that they are trying to fix very often they will put a, a, a woman in charge of the organization. Um, and that's played out over and over again. Um, here's, here's, the, um, here's the challenge in that, Laura, is that it is okay to have courage, but you also have to be able to navigate your culture while you're doing it. And I, you know, one of the things um, that is uh, executive presence Many executives will say that corporate courage, showing your teeth, you know, standing over power, truth to power, is something that people value. And women are capable of doing it. But it is, for me, it happens less frequently than the day-to-day interactions where women need to be able to be courageous in their own style, to speak up when, when they don't have the perfect answer. Um, as a very senior woman, as a senior vice president in a Fortune 30 company, I promise you I had to show my teeth on more than one occasion, but that was less critical for my entire career path than the day-to-day way I would show up in my interactions with the men and women around me. So yes, it's important, but it's not enough to be able to do it in that high point. You've got to be able to climb that mountain every day, step by step by step. You know, that's so interesting because what I just uh, uh, took from what you said is that we're really talking courage is too broad of a word uh, to to say that way. Um, And and we're really talking about different types of courage when it's protecting or um, standing up for something bigger than us, Mm -hmm. women come forth. When it's about ourselves and and standing up for ourselves, we kind of let that go more easily than, than men do. Very interesting. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction that you know we need to keep in, in front of us as we have this conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love that uh, insight. Um, and, um, uh, of course, helping, uh, talking to you about this topic is, is opening completely new, different, and new and different ways of looking at things. Um, I told you that our time is going to run very fast, so I want to talk to you about uh, confidence. And how do you define confidence? I know that in your book you've given a number of definitions, and I picked one that I, I actually loved because it was so simple. But what's your perspective? How would you define confidence in the easiest way? Yeah, so confidence is about standing over your own personal power. It is, you know, I I, I talk about it in in sort of short little bullets. It's about showing up. Um, Confidence is about suiting up. It's like being in the space you're in. It is expressing yourself. It is about having personal knowledge and expressing that in the organization. Um, confidence is about 
being able to stand over your own self and your own power. And so that when there are disagreements, you don't fold and collapse. Um, confidence is about being able to stand up um, and say what you're thinking um, and making decisions and being in the room when you need to be. And I think what's so interesting is there's a, a lot of people that will talk about confidence and say, fake it till you make it. And um, uh, Amy Cuddy, who's a professor out of Harvard, says, you know, fake it till you become it. And I believe, you know, you do it until you get through it. That confidence doesn't have to be something you feel, but confidence can be something that you express through your behavior until you're able to connect it. And again, that I go back to connecting confidence to competence. And I'd love to Excellent. hear what your favorite, what your favorite definition was. Uh, was the one given by Professor Petty, uh, because it was so. It, it, confidence is uh, the thing that turns uh, uh, thoughts into action. I just yeah. love that because right. I, I think that uh, to your point earlier, women are are very smart. I mean, women in this uh, space where they choose leadership uh, and they dedicate themselves to art, there's no doubt that they uh, demonstrate a lot of brain power. Uh, but often that brain power is not demonstrated into into action. And that's why I loved uh, um, action, self-serving action. Let me just call it this way, self-serving action. That's why I love that quote. So um, we probably um, have about three and a half, four minutes to the break. Can you please give us some some practical tips on how women can connect confidence to competence? And I love that, Grace. I'm going to quote it uh, and quote you every time when that comes into discussion. Well, again, I started this, but I will give you um, what what I when I talk to groups about this. You need to the way you can express confidence is you need to show up, and that means you need to be in the room, and you need to suit up, which is the energy that you bring into the organization, but also how you express your um, executive presence to speak up. And speaking up is about having a voice in the room and not waiting until you have formulated the perfect answer, but being willing to be a participant in the conversation. Women need to stop apologizing. Um, we are socialized to be overly apologetic and to diminish ourselves by saying things like, gee, I just got lucky when someone gives us a compliment for our work. And I think the most important thing is you can start where you are. With confidence, you can begin to put any of these small steps into action and begin to shift yourself from where you are today to a more externally confident leader um, in your organization who gets more visibility. That's amazing. And and this has been such an insightful and, and rich, um, quick, but very, very rich in content segment, Grace. And, and I really hope that uh, uh, you will come back and talk to us some more. So when's the book coming out? Uh, the book is coming out in January of 2016, but it's available for pre-sale now on our website, which is theconfidenceeffectbook.com. That's excellent. And, and to all the listeners out there, I have had the privilege to read the, the manuscript and it's absolutely filled with practical advice for women. So thank you, Grace, for sharing. I, I hope you enjoyed yourself and I hope you agree to come back and tell us more, maybe after the launch of the book and, and talk some fantastic. more. Excellent. Laura, thank, thank you so much for speaking to your audience today.
Thank you. Thank you for being here. It was a privilege. And, and I hope you stay on and listen to our second uh, uh, guest, Linda Lucy, who can talk to us at length about courage. What a, what a great pairing today. So um, thank you all. We're going to take a, a commercial break, but don't go away because after the break, I'll be back to talk to uh, Linda uh, Lucy, our second guest today. Thank you, Grace, and have a wonderful week. Thank you. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More. And for the first time, today we have a two guest shows. So uh, for the second segment, I'll be introducing to you uh, my guest, Linda Losey, who's going to talk to her, to us and to me about her personal experience and about her thought uh, leadership. So welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's let me just say it's a privilege to to have you on the show. You you are a total inspiration. So I I started the show today by saying that uh, we'll be talking about what I believe are probably the most critical success success factors in leadership, uh, confidence and 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 courage. And our first guest wrote a book about uh, confidence uh, for women and how to show up and. Um, I think what uh, what you're about is more than one thing, of course. But but courage is one thing that that stands 
that's out. Uh, let me share a bit more of your background. And, and um, you know, I'm humbled by what you have done. And uh, with sadness, I'm going to start that the first line to say that on June 22nd in 2004, your 10-year-old uh, son, Sam, uh, was crushed beneath the wheels of a trailer hauling a five-ton tractor. And Perhaps less than three years uh, later, uh, you lost your second son, 18-year-old Eric, to tragic um, circumstances. I don't have children, uh, but I can't fathom to imagine the grief a mother experiences after losing both her children. But you did a lot more than survive. Uh, Linda, you rose from your pain, you picked up the pieces of what many would consider uh, completely shattered life, and you emerged with wisdom, compassion, and grace, and became a woman of valor, inspiring others with your messages and will to survive. Your journey to resurgence led you and your husband to create a charming mini distillery where today you make award-winning artisan liqueurs by hand uh, from the farm's own fruit, roots and nuts. And the distillery, Bloomery Plantation Distillery, has over 20 international awards under its belt and of course a true testimony uh, of your commitment to perseverance in creating a new life for yourself on the foundation of your once overwhelming um, grief. Starting the distillery from the ground up uh, gave you an outlet to, to focus on your creative passion and unchanneled grief and help you to overcome um, your agonizing heartache. And I know that through that you developed um, your own thought leadership and, and put it into messages for, for people um, out there. So here's where I want to start, Linda. We talked about thought leadership. What does that mean to you? How, how does and um, how should it work for people, the things that you share with people? For me, it's all about the spirit, the, um, the human spirit shining through tragedy, adventure, and risk and triumph. I, I, I lived it. I've experienced it, as you know. I mean, the, through the loss of two sons and, and riding across America in between their deaths alone on horseback, traveling 4,032 miles and, by myself in order to heal. And then yeah. certainly founding an award-winning distillery. Um, so it's all about that journey and the adventure and, and getting to the other side. And, and, and then once you get to the other side, starting again, because there's always going to be an obstacle or uh, a challenge in your path. So to me, it's amazing what you can go through and live through and losing everything and then surviving and learning to laugh and love and, and, and live again and actually learning to change the world to what you've learned by, by sharing it. Yeah, and um, we talked a bit before the show about that. But what would you be? What would be your biggest lessons that you picked up and and wanted uh, to to share with others? Uh, for me, it's it's about patience and perspective and letting the process unfold. I mean, you can get through anything when you when you do it one step at a time, and when you're when you're so low when you're so down and carrying that huge tragedy on your back, 
um, you, you've got to learn to crawl through it, and it, it absolutely weighs you down, and then you learn to stand, and then eventually you learn to stand tall again. And so for me, it's, it's about taking that initial, initial step. When I landed out in San Diego with my two horses um, after my youngest son Sam died, and, and it was people wonder why I did that. It was his dream. It was his journey to go across America um, on a horse, and he started plotting that route when he was uh, 10 years old, and, and I had the honor of uh, actually riding on, on through three states that he had plotted uh, prior to his death. And... But, you know, in the end, in 4,032 miles, at 1,789 steps a, 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 an hour, you learn to do it one step at a time. And then I rode 7,189,056 steps to get across America. But that first step, that very first step that I took was the hardest because did I have the courage to do it? Could I face my fear? Could I do it with such pain in my heart? And, and, and I think that that's the, uh, the lesson, is learning to take that first step and not, not being afraid to do it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. You know, people fear different things, and, and you and I talked about that it's, um, it's something that doesn't bear comparison, what, what we fear on daily, uh, in our daily interactions versus what you've experienced. But what was it that helped you find inside yourself? How did you find the, the courage to overcome your fear? What made you not give into your fear of having to survive? without not one, but then both sons? Well, I think initially I felt invincible. Um, because I had lost a child, that was my greatest fear. That was the thing I feared the most in life. I was a mother of four children, and, and losing a child, as any mother knows, is, is just could be heart-wrenching, and it's, and it's that, and it's all of that and more. And so losing a child was was. I had faced that fear, and, and I thought, what more could happen? What more could happen to me? Bring it on. And I can tell you, don't ever say those words, because, man, that comes. Um, but with that, with, with that said, feeling invincible sort of gave me the courage that I, you know, I had already lost it all, so to speak. What more did I have to lose? So I learned that by losing it all, by losing you know, and facing your fear, that... Uh, You've got to live life, um, and and so I did. I, I, I looking back on it now. I mean, my mom, my poor mom, when I told her that I was going to ride across America on a horse by myself, um, I can't imagine what she was going through. I'm mm-hmm. sure she was going through the same thing that I went through, you know, and losing a child and thinking of all the bad things that could happen to me. And there were, you know, certainly things that had happened that that were uh, were not good. But um, but in the end, you know, I I, I made it through and uh, honored my son's dream of someday riding across America on on a horse. And and so it was again taking that first step and feeling feeling like I had already lost it. So what? So what? What could happen? And that's for me. I look at things when I say when I when I'm facing a challenge is what's the worst that can happen, and and then I I, I proceed from there because I'll start from that morning process. Okay, you know if I take this this step, I'm going to lose it all. But where will it take me? And that's the journey that I took. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and and that's amazing. And again, you and I talked before the show today that um, in my experience of uh, working with senior executives, which, of course, I put together this show to help them make better decisions, I find that too often uh, people um, think more about what they have to lose uh, than what they have to gain and and what will really happen if that fear comes um, you know comes to life because you know when I when I met you and when I talked to you I realized that oh my god you don't know what loss is until you've experienced this kind of loss that is a real loss and you still found a way to to come back from that because we talk here about decision making and my intent is to help everything that comes across in the show to help people make better decisions. What are the daily inspirations that you use um, in your experience, Linda, every day for your decisions? Like, how do you make decisions today? And how did you even decide to start the distillery and make it a success? Help us understand. Um, for me, my personality, I, I, I enjoy risk because I see the reward on the other side. Having lived through that, having, I mean, actually all my life, that's how I've approached life, is um, looking at a risk and, and going, okay, that's a challenge, and I can climb that mountain. And, and I, don't, I don't fail, and I don't know if it's because of my mindset or if, I mean, believe me, I've, I've experienced failures, but I've turned the failures into, um, in, into something more than what I am, which, is, which has been, been great. So, so for me... I look at, at, at the challenge and, and try and figure out how I can get around it and get over it and, and, and surmount it. Um, one of the things that happened as far as the distillery is concerned, we were, um, I made the decision, a painful decision, to shut down in February of 2014, um, uh, so just a little over a year ago, um, or not even quite a year ago, because uh, we were... We were facing huge, huge tax burdens from the state of West Virginia, and it was based on old prohibition laws that were on the books since, you know, prohibition. But we were being taxed to death, and we couldn't make a profit in three years in business. You know, it didn't matter that we had 60,000 visitors come through and a, a team of 17, but we couldn't, we couldn't make it because of these taxes. So when I, we approached the Alcohol Control Board and, and shared them, their, our story with them, you know, and, then, and they essentially said, you don't matter, you know, you don't matter. And I said, really? I said, we don't matter. I said, that's a shame. Um, we're going to close down, uh, and 17 people will be out of a job, and I've got to find new jobs for them. And they said, you won't do it. And I said... I'm not going to do it because of that challenge. I said, I have to do it because we're not going to be able to make it financially. We're at, we have no money left to support this business. And they walked away from the table. And unfortunately, we had to shut our doors in February of 2014. And, um, you know, I told, I told my team, I mean, it broke my heart. And, you know, we're searching for ways that we could utilize their skills. And, you know, I, I put it on Facebook. And there was a, a surge, a mountain of support from from this whole area, from D.C. to New York to Maryland, you know, writing the governor and saying, you know, what are you doing? They shut down his, his inbox. And um, in the end, uh, we took it to the legislature. They got behind it. 
and we reopened our doors as a result of um, being able to change the uh, the laws. And again, I didn't do it as a as a challenge to say, oh, really, we don't matter. I did it because we couldn't make it, and I had to find something better for the team. And but I had to look at that and say, what are we going to do? How are we going to approach this? And the uh, the team stood behind us. They came to work every day, even though they weren't getting paid, and still kept it going. The um, the legislators got behind it and and um, changed the law, and we were able to reopen um, after being closed down for two months. So it was a risk. I mean, it was a real risk to to close our doors. And um, but I look at that now in hindsight, and we just won one of the best entrepreneurial companies in America um, for Entrepreneur Magazine just this uh, past week. And I look at that and wonder if we hadn't have challenged the system, if I hadn't have taken that risk, you know, would we be where we are today? And I don't know. I know one thing: if I hadn't have taken that risk and made that decision and faced that challenge. I wouldn't be where I am today. We'd be closed. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm listening to you, and I have about a hundred questions coming through my mind at once. But one um, inside that that triggered in me, your story triggered in me, is that we definitely um, are today. I find that our decision making um, is starting to suffer because we are less encouraged by trying to make more money. Uh, we are less encouraged to make decisions taking into account all of the factors, uh, but we follow too many rules. We fo- and, and I'm not suggesting anarchy and not following the rules, but sometimes we don't challenge the rules that have been imposed on us to make better decisions, like the case here. And um, amazing. Congratulations. Bravo for uh, doing um, what you did. What were your insights from, from this experience, Linda? Um, it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, it's not all about the money, and it's not. Um, and, and I think when you let that go and you realize what, what is it, what, what legacy are you leaving behind? You know, what are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your team? Um, you're a leader. You're, you're a, a, a given leader, whether or not you wanted that role or whether or not you, you sought that role. Um, you're a leader, and you have to be able to lead with um, courage and compassion. And if you lead, you know, chasing that dollar and trying to, to, um, uh, to make decisions just based on that dollar, you're not going to succeed. Um, it's not about that. It's about your legacy. It's about what you're leaving behind and what you're teaching your, your children, your team, and um, those who support you um, as a leader. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Linda, there's a lot of evidence that shows that people who are primed by money or, or exposed to money concepts become more individualistic, more uh, less likely to help others, um, less likely to work well in a team or to take uh, direction from others. So no surprise that the reaction to your request was uh, was the one that it was, But but good for you for not giving up. Let me ask you, you you said that uh, you take risk. When you engage or when you start on that path, do you you set a a clear outcome that you want to to go or do you let it, uh, do you let the outcome guide you what direction to take? Um, 
It's both for me. Um, in starting the distillery, I mean, a clear example of that is Tom, who's my husband, and uh, he's half Australian, dual citizenship. His great-great-aunt Mary McKillop from Australia was being canonized as Australia's first saint. So we got the invitation from the Vatican to go see the canonization in 2010. And uh, we experienced limoncello, which is Italy's national drink, when we were over there. When we got back home, we realized that we couldn't find that same um, flavor profile, and, uh, and I started making it and winning blind taste tests with family and friends. So I, I drew a circle around, around Baltimore, where we live, and uh, chose this old, run-down, dilapidated cabin, log cabin in the woods in Charlestown, West Virginia, near Harper's Ferry. And my, my husband was going away on a, a trip, and I told him that I was, uh, I texted him, I said I was going to meet the Craigslist killer. And he, he texted back, and he said, where are you going? What are you doing? And I found this place on, on this 12-acre parcel of land with his log cabin uh, in, in West Virginia on Craigslist. So I went out there and uh, met this guy, and we ended up buying this this cabin and turning it in and transforming it. And we had I had a vision of making limoncello in West Virginia and growing lemons in West Virginia, and that was my vision. That's what I saw. And today we make you know ten different liqueurs. All of them are gold medal winners and and beyond. And um, and. It was a vision that I had, but I had no idea that we'd be employing 17 people and we'd be where we are today. So, I, so the the vision starts in my head of what I see, and then I let the process unfold and and be guided by um, you know what's before me and 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 the decisions that we make. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's a very very important uh, point, Linda. Because um, when I was asking the question, uh, I was also asking because I find in my work that a lot of the time we um, or my clients don't engage in certain risky endeavors because they don't see the likelihood of achieving their outcome. Well, here's a newsflash. There's no decision that we can take that can guarantee the outcome. We can make the best decision and there's still no guarantee because there's extraneous factors that we can't control. But having uh, an end goal or, or a greater vision allows us the flexibility to um, know what to do when things that we try don't work out. Um, and, and that's exactly what you've done. And that's exactly what you've done by challenging the legislature. Um, had it not worked out, you still would have probably looked, uh, continued to look and find a way uh, to, to, to solve the problem, to bring the distillery back online. And I hope you, I hope you um, export to Canada because I'd love to taste some of your product. I love Limoncello. Um, but about that vision, any more, any more that you can share as, as advice for executives and how they can become better leaders of their business? Well, I think, I think that, um, you know, following that vision, first off, having a vision is extremely um, important. I don't get mired down in the hows um, as to how I'm going to achieve it. I, I see the vision. I didn't know how I was going to get across America. Um, my girlfriend kept sending me a GPS, and I said, hey, and I'd ship it back. And I said, no, I'm heading east. I'll get there. <laughs> and, um, and so, I, I, again, that's, I mean, that's, 
it's a great analogy because I knew I was heading east. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I knew what my end point was, and I just let it unfold. And uh, the generosity of America got me across, you know, and it was great. And the same thing for the distillery for me is um, I just, you know, I, I see the end result and where I want to be, and the team is just so fabulous in getting us there. You know, and it even comes down to, to the kids, um, you know, and losing two kids. I, I, I've just been blessed with my uh, first granddaughter, and, you know, when I, when I had children, I had four children, and I thought I'd own when I, when I grew old, and then I lost two of them, and half my family ripped apart. And now I've got two grandchildren. And Amazing. so I just don't ever know what the end, um, how, the journey that's going to take me to that end result. But if, as long as you let that go, it, it, the journey is the fun part of it. And, and whether or not you turn left or whether or not you turn right, it doesn't matter as long as you get to that end, end goal. And don't be afraid to turn either way. One may be a harder, harder turn than the other, but you're still going to get there as long as you maintain that vision. Yeah. And, and you know, if uh, I was just wondering, because I can hear the voice of my own client in my head, um, for for um, CEOs of organizations, and you are um, of your own organizations, but a lot of organizations, large corporations, are, are run by uh, what I call chess players. They want to know in advance what the next move is going to lead to. And listening to you, they may feel that that's a bit too loose for for them to grasp or you know they have to give reports but i think it has um, it has a great uh, uh, relevance to what you're saying so what would you um, advise or some practical advice for those chess players who like to know at every step how the action is going to uh, turn up oh wow uh, i don't know if you ever know how your actions are going to yeah. turn out and that's the problem but but, I mean, I certainly have members like that on my team who, who need, uh, you know, more of a step-by-step -step, uh, guidance to it. So I give them a goal, and, you know, and then we sit down as a team, and I say, okay, here's the goal. This is what we need to achieve. How are we going to get there? And I let them, with me certainly at the, at the, at the helm, you know, guiding it, figure out the steps that we're going to take. And then they, they take and fight. Now, if I were a leader where I, I needed to, to know the steps, again, I would turn to my team. I have to trust in them to, to, to help guide me on getting there and, and say, okay, guys, this is how I think we're going to get there. What's your input? Where can we improve? Where can we get better? And, and have that, that uh, you know, step-by-step -step process because there are people certainly who need, who need it. And it's just a different style, but it's what makes the world go around. So I'd, I'd have it. I do have it, actually, I mean, because some, some members of our team need it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the process. one of the great insights that, uh, um, you know, is contained, at least from my perspective in what, in what you said, and we only have two minutes, but is the fact that people who have visions, uh, um, um, sometimes they become too hands-on about the how-to, letting others, just making sure that everyone understands the end goal or, or uh, destination, but letting others decide the how-to um, is, is a very powerful message for leaders to succeed. Any final parting um, advice for people? There's been so much amazing content in what you said, um, Linda, but some parting words for what would you recommend from your experience that leaders can do perhaps differently 
um, to be more successful and freer of their own fears? I think by facing your fear, I mean, you've got to look fear in the eye and, and face it and, um, and turn towards it rather than running from it is, is one, one thing that you have to do. And, and uh, certainly another thing that you can do is trust, trust in the process, trust in, in who you've gathered around you and, and let go of the how in that trust and know that, I mean, it, you're going to fail as a leader if you, if you don't provide the vision and the guidance but you also have to provide the trust in your team that they're going to they're going to follow you sure. as a leader and get it. And of there. course, trust in yourself as Grace earlier said. Linda, thank you so much. I already asked Grace, I'm going to ask you. I hope you can come back and talk to us some more because there's still so much more that we haven't explored. But for now, I I thank you. Um I hope you enjoyed yourself. I certainly have. I feel humbled by everything you said and have experienced and the lessons you shared with us. Um I hope you have a great week and our listeners too and we'll see you next Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Take care. Bye, Linda. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.